What is second chance hiring and how might it be an answer to the talent shortages we're experiencing now in hospitality? This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. According to new data from HLA this month, more than 80% of hotels are still experiencing staffing shortages. Today, we're learning from Jeff Korzenek, the chief economist at Fifth Third Bank, one of the largest commercial banks in the U.S., about some ways that we can address this challenge. Jeff, thanks so much for joining the show today. I guess maybe to kick us off, I'm curious, why does a chief economist and former investment management executive focus on hiring? Well, as an economist and a chief economist of a $200 billion bank, I care a lot about having better economic outcomes. And that includes making sure that the companies we bank have talent that they can access to grow their business. And that's really the start of my whole investigation into into this area, started looking at what went wrong with the labor market and how can we fix it. Let's jump into that. You and I initially connected after I spoke with Craig Poole, a, a guy who's doing some incredible work through a hotel. He's using his hotel business as a platform to show other businesses what can be done with regards to hiring. And what you and I wanted to talk about today a little bit was, was this notion of Craig calls it second chance hiring. What's the opportunity here? Sure. Second chance hiring uh, broadly refers to hiring people who have a criminal record, who have made a mistake in the past. It's also often called fair chance hiring. I use the terms interchangeably. Some people have different definitions. It's an amazing opportunity because we have a structural labor shortage in the United States, and yet we have this enormous pool of potential talent that is consistently overlooked by the business community, people who made a mistake in the past. And by no means do I believe that every single one of Every single person who's made a mistake that delivered a criminal record can be a great employee, but we have 19 million Americans with felony convictions and tens of millions more with misdemeanor who are consistently overlooked. You can find a lot of talent that hasn't been tapped in a pool that size. I want to get into the structural nature of the issue because the hospitality industry is is talked about for the last number of years. Okay, maybe this is pandemic-induced, maybe... And there are factors here. But from your work, I understand there's something bigger at play that our listeners need to understand. Absolutely. And and I've been out very publicly saying a labor shortage is coming since at least 2017, 2018 in writing. I, I will tell you when, it, when uh, I submitted the manuscript for my book on tap talent, the unemployment rate at that, that month was 11%. And I pause because my introduction says a labor shortage is coming. You know, we'll get through this and there's a labor shortage coming. And indeed it has. I I think what business leaders everywhere have to understand is just how built in this is. We stopped having enough babies 25, 30 years ago. So that's data point number one. Data point number two, and what was accelerated by the pandemic was the retirement of the baby boom generation. The way that I think of it is not just that there's not enough younger generations to replace the baby boomers or the associated growth and employment you need, but think of it this way. Baby boomers are retiring. That means that they're still out there as retirees demanding goods and services, and often those are 
very much focused on the hospitality business, but they're no longer involved in producing those goods and services because they're retired. And that is a tension that's going to exist in the economy with this mismatch between the number of people who are still buying goods and services, but aren't producing them. That's going to last really until the baby boom generation dies out. So this is a decade plus problem for the business community. Let's talk a little bit about the solution. Your book is Untapped Talent. Tell us a little bit more about this group of people who maybe were previously incarcerated, maybe have a a criminal record. What should business leaders know about this community as it relates to hiring? Well, the starting point is that having a record may not mean what you think it means. And it's very common to associate it. And this is the approach I had. This is what I knew we We all somewhere along learned this kind of heuristic of people with criminal records, bad people, cops, good people. You know, the fact of the matter is that an awful lot of people get a criminal record because they are young and have used bad judgment or have bad surroundings. And we know to a large degree, people grow out of some of that bad judgment. And so the uh, starting point is looking at the actual numbers, 19 million people with felony convictions, right? It's very telling that fewer than half of them were convicted of a crime of such threat to public safety that it even required a prison term. Most people with felony convictions didn't even serve a prison term. Might have been probation, might have been uh, some time pending trial uh, in a county jail, but they weren't actually assigned a prison term. That's very telling that the criminal justice system may not be what we think it is. And even those who did deserve a conviction and did deserve incarceration may not be the same person they were at age, say, 18, that they are today at age 35 or 40. And so when you start with this 19 million number and then the tens of millions more with a uh, misdemeanor conviction, that's a big pool to choose from. And it is largely overlooked. The second point I'd make that is really important is that there is a way to find those in this community who are ready to be good employees and ways to support them and ensure that they thrive. So you can't just approach it like any other hire. Oh, I like him or her. Let's bring them on. That it is more complicated than that. The, The good news is, however, that if you set up a process for hiring, selecting and supporting people with criminal records, That process tends to serve many other employees, typically those who've been marginalized by deep poverty, also benefit from this. And so it really broadens out your talent pool and broadens out, as you saw with Craig Poole, broadens out your ability to deliver an outstanding service to guests and and prosper as a business. To that point of additional consideration for hiring from people in, in this community, uh, what are some things that you've seen? It could be within the hospitality industry or outside of it, of of someone or an organization that took a, a smart approach to doing this. What did that look like? Well, sure. I, I'll, I'll hold out, for instance, uh, Wynn Hotels, which started with one hire that they liked. And uh, Artie Nathan was the director of HR at the time and ended up having such a good experience that not only did they end up petitioning the Nevada Gaming Commission to expand the opportunities because it was it's a heavily regulated industry uh, so that they could hire more people. Um, as I already mentioned to me, you're not going to have someone convicted of a financial crime in the cage, right? There's still common sense protections 
that work. But often the regulatory restrictions have been overly broad. So they, they removed restrictions. And then they also set up, Artie is one of the founders of a, biz, a, a nonprofit called Hope for Prisoners that does an outstanding job at taking people come off of a conviction or incarceration, selecting, developing them, and then critically providing mentoring for uh, something like 18 months after, because so many people who have a criminal record came out of a life of really limited vision of what they could do in the world lack of mentorship, uh, lack of stability. And when you provide that kind of support and mentorship, you get outstanding employees. So Hope for Prisoners is a conduit to the business community and particularly the hospitality community in uh, Las Vegas has relied very heavily on them and very successfully so. That's a, it's a great story. And I wonder if we could spend a few moments speaking a little bit more uh, broadly, including people who are maybe formerly incarcerated, but just... Um, other populations that may not have the sort of labor participation um, that they could have in in some of your work in writing and speaking, you've you've looked at Japan as an example of things that we should think about. Can you tell me a little bit about that and and why should we look at Japan? I partnered with a Japan economist, Daisuke uh, uh, Nakajima, and uh, Daisuke and uh, Nakajima and I have uh, been working on this, talking about this for years. He used to be a research provider for me. And uh, has gone off. He's actually started a sake import company, Cedar Sake. And uh, he and I have uh, marveled at how Japan has grown their labor force, even as their population has shrunk. And we've asked ourselves, are there lessons we could learn? And we have learned that there are ways that Japan has moved the needle and successfully unearthed talent that they previously overlooked. Now, in Japan, of course, a largely overlooked population had been female workers. And so they grew their female labor force population. They're not as overlooked, of course, in this country. But it's interesting that Japan, among what economists call prime age workers, 25 to 54, 20, females actually have a higher labor force participation rate in Japan, meaning they're employed or actively seeking employment, than they have in the U.S. or in the Eurozone. So we can do better with women is one of the lessons that we should be immediately taking away. But the broader takeaway, of course, is this look to populations that have been marginalized. That ties in, of course, to the work with criminal records. Uh, then Japan, of course, infamously has a uh, great difficulty in accepting uh, foreign-born workers. And uh, the, the um, Immigration restrictions put our political battles, you know, they may make our political battles over immigration seem small. So in Japan, they sidestepped this. They grew a, a guest worker program uh, enormously to, to a degree, really increased uh, by hundreds of thousands of, of workers. Um, our H-1B visa program, by contrast, has only grown by something like 85,000 workers over a couple decades, dwarfed by the way that Japan used guest workers to augment. And now it's kind of opening up the doors to broader immigration possibilities and, uh, as well. And then the final one that's really been um, exciting to see in Japan is uh, the inclusion of older workers. And they are structured in such a way, there's quasi-governmental structures that support the return of older workers who choose to work. Um, we have, and many of your listeners are familiar with workforce boards. They tend to serve sort of marginalized populations uh, in Japan, they don't have that. They have the Silver Jinzai centers, which serve 
older workers who want to return to the workforce. And at any given time, you have something like 700,000 older workers, often very experienced, very disciplined, are registered with these centers. They may retrain for a different line of work that they prefer to do in retirement, but employers know how to find them. They go to their Silvergen's Eye Centers. Something like 80% of registrants have been placed over time with this. I'll also add beyond the Japan, but also kind of interest to uh, looking at international issues. I'm increasingly hearing of employers who are looking to refugee populations within the United States. And as the uh, grandson and great-grandson of refugees who were hired in this country, I think that's a great opportunity uh, as well. That's great. And I think the more that we can look you know, around the world for inspiration, who's doing it well, uh, I think you've articulated quite well the, the business case and the business opportunity and hospitality. It's something we're talking about a lot, but we, we need to kind of look at, at best practices here. I wonder if you could speak just a little bit to you know, the ethical, the moral case for inclusive hiring. You know, kind of what, what's, uh, I think it's important to, to lead with, with a business case to get stuff done, but is there also an impact on communities that this results yeah, in? There, there absolutely is. I rarely talk about it. So thank you for the opportunity, I think, because I like to be known for the business case because I don't want employers to think that there's anything less than a great business case. I don't want people to think that I'm on a moral crusade. I'm on a business crusade, an economic crusade that happens to have outsized societal benefits. And those benefits to me revolve around breaking this awful cycle we've developed of intergenerational poverty in the United States and also some of the racial inequalities that, uh, uh, that you see. Um, the ugly truth of our criminal justice system is that wh whether deserved or not deserved, uh, one in three black men in America has a felony conviction. Um, that's an astounding number. And when you couple that with the uh, understanding that such a conviction can often bar you from employment or from economic advancement, you can see how this can come intergenerational. Right? You, you don't have a role model at home. I, I always challenge business audiences, CEOs, who taught you how to dress appropriately, show up on time, who taught you how to navigate conflict with a coworker? Who taught you that when someone asks you, how are you? They don't really want to know the details. Uh, all of these things we learned from someone else. And when you have parents, typically fathers who have been incarcerated, they don't have that knowledge to pass along and you develop this intergenerational poverty. In fact, one of the best predictors of whether a child will ever end up in prison is if they've had a parent in prison. And so we have to break this kind of cycle. Uh, what that means, of course, is stronger families, safer communities, better role models, um, less waste of taxpayer money through the whole justice system. It, it's As an economist, I'm trained to think of everything as trade-offs. For every win, you have to have a loss somewhere. This is a true win-win scenario. And at a time where we see rising crime hurting businesses, particularly inner city business district uh, businesses, hurt, hurting those businesses, this is one of the best ways to, to fight that cycle of crime that we seem to be into. I love that. And I think many of the people listening to this are going to be as inspired as I am listening to you. I guess to, to what action items would you leave us with? Somebody's bought into this. They love the notion of it. What should they go out and do as a result of hearing this? So it, it takes a while to, to 
get on board with this and to learn how to do it right. And I have to emphasize, there's a way to do it right. Many of your listeners may have had an experience with some of this record as an employee who wasn't a good employee. Typically, that reflects a brokered process. You didn't know how to pick the right person. You didn't know how to support the person appropriately. So I urge anyone who has had a negative experience to try it again, but know how to do it right. To know how to do it right, there's a number of training programs around in the country, these cohort-based trainings. I was just part of one of them uh, with the Corporate Coalition of Chicago, uh, where it's a structured curriculum. Uh, in that case, it was designed by the Boston Consulting Group. Dave's Killer Bread Foundation has a, uh, now part of JFF, Jobs for the Future, has a, has a cohort program. Kara, there, there are, there are uh, chambers of commerce, like Kentucky Chamber of Commerce has the Fair Chance Academy. So you can always go and get, get involved in one of those. I would be remiss if I did not mention my book as a resource. And I will, um, you know, share with listeners that in the, just in the last month, three businesses have told me that the book was actually instrumental in their starting second chance programs. But the book outlines, and I'm, but let me just share it here, is there are ways that businesses can start testing the waters. And one of the best ways is to go visit a business that's doing it successfully. Particularly, some of your listeners who work for larger companies, you know, they spend a lot of money doing talent acquisition, going out to the Cornell Hotel School to recruit or whatever it is. I would suggest, and I don't want to ruin uh, Craig Poole's calendar, but why I'm eager to get to Reading, Pennsylvania, see his award-winning hotels and see how he does it. Most second chance employers, people who do this, are willing to share and open up the doors and share that. Go meet with one of these nonprofits, these reentry organizations, like A Hope for Prisoners, and see how they can partner with you. All of these are steps that lead you along the way. And, and I, I'm also going to emphasize one thing that employers should do is recognize that they may have hard and fast rules, both for employment and even for vendor contracts that prohibit people with a conviction. And take that off. Be flexible. If someone has crime in their past, but has been a good citizen for 10 years, has a career, rebuilt their life, that's just another employee. Don't bar them. If you have a property with an outside vendor that's a second chance employer, and you have them, say, in a big hotel resort property, they come in and mow the lawn or trim the trees, don't prohibit them from hiring people. Don't stand in the way of this great societal and economic good. Great points for all of our listeners to act on. The book's Untapped Talent. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes or you can find it wherever fine books are sold. Before we go, is there anything you're hoping to cover? Anything else top of mind for you? You know, the only thing I would observe is that when I look at the businesses that are doing this, they're not just pioneers in this area. They tend to be great businesses. You know, Craig Poole and his, uh, uh, and I'm sure you'll link to his podcast with you. This is an award-winning, highly profitable business. The businesses that do this right benefit from lower turnover and higher employee engagement. So that combination of someone who cares about their job because you've given them a chance and is loyal and stays with you is a great recipe for profitability. And, uh, and so this is, this is not just getting a body in a seat. This is getting someone who cares about the work and will stay with you.
Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on the show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. Dot com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 